0: Hello, dear listener. I have something truly special to share. It's an exclusive invitation to join me in Mexico for an intimate and luxurious 3 day retreat along the beautiful Pacific coast of Zihuatanejo, taking place the weekend of the spring equinox, March 18th through the 20th. There's also an optional day to stay through the 21st for some special ceremonies that are happening in the area for the equinox. But the retreat itself is the 18th through the 20th, really an opportunity not to be missed. And I'm offering one lucky listener a discounted ticket on this weekend that I've I've just been loving into being actually for several years now as COVID and you know everything but when we conceived of building this place our home down here It's really what we envisioned, you know, bringing people down here for retreats, for trainings, because we felt and we knew that this space was special. And as people keep coming down and we keep getting the feedback, how magical it is, we want to share it in a really intentional way. You know, be working with the four elements, earth, air, fire, water, the metaphors of the season will set sight on a new vision for our mothering journey and creating a deeper connection to self and mother nature. So to win a discounted ticket, rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it and DM it to me on Instagram at Dr. Gertrude Lyons. And remember, the most important thing to mother is yourself. Give yourself permission to take a retreat this year. And besides, who said mothers can't go on a spring break? I'll see you there. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome to Mother. Oh, it's Mother. Welcome to Mother, the show where we can explore our inner mothers to actualize our greatest selves through interviews with incredible guests, live coaching sessions, and my own experiences. We're going to dive deep into embracing feminine values and reparenting ourselves. So be prepared to show up, hold space, and be mothered in a way you never have before, but have always needed. It's time we rewrite the mud per code. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Mother, Rewriting the Mother Code Podcast, Season 3. Well, I had the honor and privilege, juices are still flowing, I still feel electric from just interviewing Florence and Romano. Sometimes, you know, there's just, I feel like I connect with all my guests. Generally, they're, you know, we're fairly like-minded, or even if not, you know, we we connect in beautiful ways. But Florence is one of those guests where it's like, Oh my gosh, you too. And I think at some point I say, I really believe we're sisters from another mother, at least in what we care about and what we're trying to do in the arena of raising awareness in the mothering space and really wanting to empower women in that area. So Florence, a former nanny of 15 years, an author and an active childcare advocate, she's a proud member of the board of directors of the Children's Research Fund an incredible organization that supports the pediatric research at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. She's also a founding member of Sesame Street's Leadership Council, and she looks after honorary kids in her life daily. She truly believes that parents will experience beautiful breakthroughs in their homes if they simply ask for help. Her goal is to encourage and empower you to be the best you can be by letting love in. And we also talk about the current book that she's writing. It's all around consciously creating your village, right? So, so many of the connections and overlap with the mother code message, nuancing it and bringing more insight and a whole new perspective and way to consider and underline the amazing possibilities when we all start acknowledging that all women mother and what can happen in that space. So without further ado, here we go. I am super excited. Welcome Florence. Florence and Romano to my show today. Welcome, Florence. So happy to have you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you. I know we're going to have a great conversation. You span a, a number of arenas in your skill set. Uh, one, you have a digital content agency currently called Yakity Yak, correct? I got that right.
1: Correct. Yes. Uh,
0: wonderful. So your creativity and all that flourishes there. But you're also in this whole arena of, you know, you've been a professional nanny, but now you're just this huge advocate for spreading child care wisdom across the USA. and You have a podcast, 15 years that you worked as a nanny, but now your mission to spread childcare wisdom across the USA. So you have, in addition to Windy City Nanny, you're also on the board of directors of Sesame Street's Leadership Council, Lurie's Children's Research Fund, and I know more. And you have this beautiful podcast called Finger Painting the Future. So just want to kind of throw that out there. So our audience has some idea of the magic that you're making, but I would love now to hear from you. Tell us about you, you know, who are you? How did you come to be doing the many things that you're doing? And we'll go from there.
1: Well, thank you for a lovely introduction. You know, it's funny, you hear someone say like the different things you've done or are doing and you're like, gosh, I, I feel kind of tired after you hear that, that, you <laughs> know, that list of things. I do a lot, right? wow, I know, I know, yes. Like, you know, I, I, I guess I'm fitting a lot in there, but um, I, you know, it's really been a natural evolution, I would say in my life, the things that I've done, you know, you make plans and, you know, in your life and and then you end up somewhere else and it's usually somewhere better than you, ever expected. Um, and sometimes the road to it is not the road you expected or even the easiest road, but um, you realize in hindsight why you went through what you did to get there, uh, which I think is a very cool thing to evaluate in your life from time to time. But the reason I've gone into child care advocacy was because of my career as a nanny. And what led me to this side of it now, after actively working with children and families for 15 years was I wrote a children's book called Nanny and Me to help children understand the transition or being cared for by their parents, pardon me, to then being cared for by a nanny or a caretaker. And I was compelled to write it because the statistic and it continues to rise is over 65% of families in America today have a nanny or a caretaker. And I just thought to myself, gosh, this, this isn't a trend. This is a part of our life now. This is part of our culture and it's not going anywhere. And we're doing, Our children a disservice and our families a disservice if we're not talking about who's helping us raise our children. And we hear that line all the time of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And I love that, but I think it's a bit ambiguous. And so now in in my life, I really wanted to to dissect and and dilute that statement as much as I could. So I kind of cut it in half and it takes a village. And in life, I think it takes a village no matter if you're a parent or not. And so my my second book that i'm working on now is not a children's book it's actually a prescriptive book for the masses about the village and who you are in people's villages who you want to be in people's villages and how you can be a part of people's villages and how to build those villages specifically giving directions on how to do it and so you know it kind of all folds into this child advocacy but i feel like like i said before it's evolved and that's based on the temperature of society and what's going on and We learned a lot through COVID. I mean, we can't go through something like a pandemic and think that we don't learn something from it. There has to be some positive things we take from it. And I think we all globally saw what happened to everyone's villages. They were taken away from them in so many different ways. And whether that was school or daycare or a nanny or whatever it was, or your parents or your friends, we all know and that's a very strange thing to be able to globally bond in that way to know what that feels like that shared experience so i wanted to make sure we captured that like lightning in a bottle sort of thing because i don't want to lose what that felt like because we need to learn from it and so that's what the book is really about is making sure that no matter where you are in your life or what's happening around you that you understand and have the tools to be a part of a village and know what you need and ask
0: for it too. Wow. That's so beautiful. I mean, first of all, I can't wait. I, I just want to get your book, Nanny, Nanny. <laughs> um, and Me. But I'm super excited about this for a number of reasons. One, I totally agree. Like, I think the pandemic... You know, if we don't mine and harvest the gifts from it and just think it was this horrible thing that happened and let's just move on. I mean, we can't, I mean, we, we can, and I'm sure, but there's no going back to normal. There's no, you know, we can't go back in time. So to really look and see and what happened during that and find the value in it and what can we do going forward to create it. And I love the part, you know, who am I in the village and what do I need a village for? And and all of that. And I think that's going to weave its way through more of what we're going to talk about here. But I want to hear a little bit going back to your nanny days, right? Where you were part of that village. What's it like to be a nanny, but particularly talk to me about the relationship you've had with parents and their children and kind of the ups and downs, you know, the, where it's wonderful, but also, you know, what's challenging about it, that
1: kind of thing. It's interesting because you have a different view as the nanny in someone's home than the parents might have. You have a, a window into the world of the children that might be different that might reveal more than a parent might see it depends and there's a lot of dynamics that go into it because there can be Guilt on the parent's side for not being around as much because they need to work or want to work or whatever the case may be. And then also competition, but you know, with the nanny because they see how much hopefully their children love the nanny. It can be a very delicate dance. And that's why picking the right person for your home and that is a nanny who's in the home with you or, and I'm not talking about someone that just like lives with you. It could be a nanny that just comes during the day for several hours, whatever. That term nanny is kind of just used in a general way now of anyone that's taking care of your children in your absence, but also daycare too. You need to find the right daycare, the right people, the place that you feel that your children are going to be safe, that give you peace of mind. That's what parents are looking for with childcare is the peace of mind. And it begs the question, can you really trust another person with your most precious possessions, especially a stranger? And that was always the, the most interesting part of the process for me was understanding that it wasn't just the family that was vetting me. I was also vetting the family and, you know, there have to be an alignment of values there. Uh, It doesn't mean that that person looks like you thinks like you necessarily. It just has to be an alignment of the core stuff, you know, the, 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 you know, that stuff that churns and burns in your body, the rules of your home. And so when I did, you know, work with a family and I, would see things in the home that I necessarily wouldn't agree with or something that I felt I needed to bring to the attention of the parents. I was, I tried to be at least very thoughtful about my delivery of that. And my example of this is I was one of the nanny families I was with for many, many years. The little girl was very hard on herself and also felt a great deal of pressure from her parents to also perform in every aspect of her life at kind of the highest level. And one night she had been doing her homework and then kind of disappeared for a little too long. You know how you have that feeling. You're like, oh, it's a little too long. So I went upstairs and she was in the bathroom and I could hear her on the other side of the door, making, throwing up, you know, making she was sick. And so I knocked and she let me come in and she's just crying and crying and crying. And, and we laid on the bathroom floor together and she told me she just felt she couldn't do it anymore. It was too hard and she was failing. And she just really opened up. And my heart, broke, you know, with, with this, you know, and I thought to myself, my gosh, how do I address her parents about this? Because a lot of the reason she's feeling how she's feeling is because of the pressure they're putting on her. And so I, I took a couple of days to think about it, uh, because I also wanted to keep her trust, you know? And so, but I also had an obligation to try to help her and make her parents aware of something. So again, this delicate dance, this straddling you do on this very fine line. So I did sit down with her parents eventually, you know, a couple of days later, not eventually a couple of days later and said, I really just want to bring to your attention, how she's feeling and how can we work as a team to help her? It was never attacking them. You you know, shaming them or anything like that. And the truth was they were very receptive to it. They thanked me for bringing it to their attention and we worked on it. And now let's fast forward a lot of years later, I went to a wedding where she was attending and I hadn't seen her in a long time. She, you know, grown up and she was successful and beautiful and all these things. And I hadn't seen her. And it was like a movie scene. It, she was on the other side of the dance floor and we kind of like ran to each other and she hugged me and I hugged her so tight. And when we backed away and I looked at her she had tears in her eyes and I said what is it and she said I just want you to know you're still the voice in my head all these years later and that's like the holy grail moment for a nanny because there are so many moments that seem insignificant or significant and you don't know what anyone's going to remember and this is in life you don't know what people are going to remember of you about you my favorite quote is my Angelou people forget what you did what you said but they won't forget how you made them feel and I feel like that That was my job as a nanny was to was to make them feel something, whether it was love or secure or heard or understood or not judged, whatever it was. And so it was in that moment that I felt very validated about my work as a nanny, but also realized that. There's a lot to say about child care advocacy as well and about what the dynamics of the home are with a nanny, with daycare, with whatever it is, and that we need to continue to explore that and that our job in raising children in whatever capacity you're in with them, whatever your interaction is, it's not to be taken lightly because you don't know how you're going to affect them in a negative or positive way.
0: There's so much in what you said, uh, Florence, that's so important. And I'm I'm so glad that the listeners will be able to hear. Hear this, because you know that that interaction and that delicate balance of you know supporting and both as a parent and and someone who supports parents and families in a coaching perspective, it's the most vulnerable job on the planet. So it's not like going into your job review, and you know that can be. Tenuous, or you know, you can definitely have scared right. feelings of that, but you can kind of leave that behind when you're getting feedback. You know, and I know you weren't saying you were giving them specific, you that so responsibly and beautifully as far as it being yeah. a team on that. And this is ours to look at, but you know, a parent hearing anything yeah. about yes. their children being in pain. Our, and right. Um, but even then, if you know, if there's times where you do need to give direct feedback, you know, to be able to do that in a way that a parent can hear, and you know, the parent has, and this might be some of the values that we were talking about when Mm -hmm. you, you know, are looking at making a good match, like, is this going to be a relationship or space where we can be truthful with each other, where we can share honestly, and even when we're not going to like it necessarily in both ways, right? Like them giving you feedback, you giving feedback all in the service of, you know, the job, so to speak of tending to and caring for a child or children, but you know, then, you know, to have that impact and you never know, like if something you did, what the future is going to entail, but how, you know, to have it reflected back, you don't do it to get that reflection, but when when you do. It's like, right. oh, you know, yes. how beautiful. And I'm right. so glad, so glad that worked that way. And, and I particularly think caregivers and, you know, like as you said, nanny covers a lot of terms, there's a lot of misconceptions. And this is what I work on, you know, with women, people, whatever, and rewriting the mother code, like the mythology around all Mm -hmm. things mothering right and the Mm -hmm. choices and what that means and this relationship i don't think is thought about enough and i'm so glad you're advocating for it and speaking out about it because it's such a integral part of the mothering journey, both as the nanny and as the direct mother. So I guess the question I asked was what are some common misconceptions that you ran into or that you find or you you helped to try and debunk? You know, I know some that I would think of, but you know, what are some that you've been really aware of and have are trying to change.
1: There are so many, like you said, but I think that the thing that comes to mind and, and, and maybe this is just because of my recent experience with it. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I just turned 36 last week and I had made a promise to Happy myself. Happy birthday! Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I had made a promise to myself that by the time I turned to 36, so in my 35th year, that if I was not married and had no children, that I would freeze my eggs. And I, I did. I, I was successful in that. I went through two rounds of IVF and actually chose donor sperm to fertilize some of them. And I have eggs that are unfertilized as well, in case I do ever get married and going through the IVF experience was emotional and jarring and beautiful and heartbreaking and all in all sorts of ways. But it opened up kind of this secret underground society of women that I never really knew about. I didn't really know about anything about infertility infertility or, and, and that's not the reason I was going through what I was going through. And I certainly was met with meeting a lot of women who were struggling with infertility. And one thing that was a shared conversation I had with a bunch of women, we did a, a they made us do where the fertility clinic I, I went to in Colorado made us do a session together with a bunch of other women who were considering being single mothers by choice, which is you know why I did the donor sperm and things like that. And here I was connected with all these women, different backgrounds and ages and and reasons for why they were considering what they were considering. And the one thing I can remember everyone kind of saying was there are so many of us out there who desperately want to be mothers and are not yet. We're mothers in waiting as they would call us, but there are so many places in life that we do mother. And that I think is what I really like to bring to the forefront is, you know, I do mother in a lot of different ways. I felt that as a nanny, I was doing a lot of mothering and even in this now new area of my life with advocacy, I feel I am taking on kind of that mama bear mentality too. And then also with the children in my life, my friends, all of that, I do consider my aunt title or whatever I might be as another person to mother them in some sort of way to nurture them to be invested in their well-being and their growth mentally, spiritually, whatever it might be. So that I think to me is the first thing that comes to mind when we need to debunk something or at least just bring awareness to something that there are a lot of different ways to parent. It's not just mothering. I suppose it could be fathering as well, but we're talking about mothers specifically. And just this recent experience of my life made me really very pensive about it and really opened my eyes to a lot of feelings. feelings that women have that I never realized before
0: hi I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 spring equinox self-mothering retreat that's happening this March 2024 and I would love for you not only to consider it but to attend but in considering it Hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico, Zihuatanejo, meaning land of the goddess women, and coming to really take time for yourself. Okay, and that I am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish, it's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go? It's a five and a half day retreat, getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. and. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. Well, you're so attuned to it right now because of your experience, but you know, you're speaking my language, of course, Yes, we're like <laughs> I sisters from another mother um, yes. in that regard. Yes. And which I love, right. And maybe this will connect when we talk in a little bit more, even more about the village where we lift each other and support each other. Right. But yes, like to have that message, gosh, same with you. If there's one thing I would love to change in the paradigm around mothering is that you're only, well, one, there's a big myth that you're only a woman if you give birth to a child, but right. like that's what makes you a woman. And that's, right. you know, been infused in the patriarchal, right. you know, way of being for right. unfortunately thousands of years right. that our whole reason to be on the planet was to give birth to children. Like, right. really? Like, right. then why do we just, why do we have a window of time so that all that other time that we're living, we're just a waste, Right. You know? Exactly. And, and, Exactly. I, don't think, I don't think that's it. Number one, it's just so threatening. Right. I, I mean, I understand we won't go into all the reasons behind that, but it is so wired in us, in our right. culture. And it, it's what kind of led me to do this because to do what I'm doing, because that was such a, in a group of women that I was working with that. Right. And these were all women who didn't have children yet also, and we're at varying places in my doctoral study. But I just brought that concept in because it was, I thought it was important and meaningful. It wasn't even the crux of the seminar, you know, or the, or the study, but when I talked about, and this was something I had learned in my training with Dr. Judith Wright, that all women mother, we all mother, we mother, we conceive, create, give birth to dreams, ideas, children, if we choose. And choose is the big word there. We have that choice, right? right. You mothered a book. You're in the process of mothering another one, you know, and, and these businesses and your podcast and, you know, that we see it as one of the options that of course is unique and beautiful. And, you know, there's, we're not saying anything else is the exact same experience, but we also don't want to take away from the power because it's the, still the same values. It's the same, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, aspects that go into just this tremendous amount of caring and caregiving. And, and just like you, with the experience that you had, like you've mothered these, you know, embryos these these like, yeah. you know, they're, right. and you mothered yourself. That's the whole, you know, really the, what I'm trying to get at in a lot of this too, the most important person we need to mother is ourselves Right. as we're going about, you know, this beautiful work that we do. So I think we're very aligned in that. And, I'm so happy when others are advocating for the same, you know, let's, let's really bust that, you know, it's,
1: so well said, really. you know, I just love your sentiment around it too, and just your energy around it as well. And I just, I think that we've evolved in, in a lot of different ways as a society, and that's fantastic, but, you know, change can be difficult for, for people to watch over time sure. and understand new concepts. And, you know, it's easy for people to kind of just say, oh my, God, that's so silly, you know, that people are. Being sensitive or overly, or or, you know whatever it is, but I I do think that there are parts of that evolution and the the sensitivity now that we have toward each other that is was really needed and is really beautiful, especially when it comes to, like you said, debunking and and demystifying that whole idea of what it really means to mother, and and choosing it too is is interesting because you know I'm at an age where you know. it's like some of my friends are like, okay, is this the last call? Like I need to do it now or forever hold my peace or, you know, you know, are there other ways to, to make a family and what does that mean? And do I have to feel guilty if I don't want to, to have children in whatever way? You know, and so there's just all of those layers to it. And I feel like one thing also I see happen a lot and I did see happen a lot as a nanny was a lot of women shaming other women. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would see the stay-at-home moms, shaming the working moms and then the vice versa of that, you know, and they both had, you know, very strong and passionate opinions about how they chose to live their lives. But why you had to cut down someone else, I don't understand, you know, that's their choice. And it's I'll never condemn technology. I love it. I think it's great in moderation. I think, though, the bullying we've seen, though, in in the cyber world has made an exacerbation this problem, it's made it much worse. I don't feel like I was as aware as how, how mean or how unkind or how judgmental or whatever it was until I started seeing how people behaved on social media. And I'm speaking specifically to the, the, the shaming of women, uh, you know, but, and I know it happens in a lot of different ways, but it, that that's heartbreaking though, because you know, you have to make some really big decisions as a woman that men are not faced with, you know, and to think that, you know, that sisterhood, you know, is not as strong across the board as I wish it was, is hard to swallow sometimes.
0: It really is. And, you know, you, you just tapped into again, like one of my other big, you know, uh, pet peeves or what I would hope could come out of, you know, with what you're saying. Cause I, I mean, I lived it, I've seen it I, and I raised my kids without social, I mean, it wasn't, Around right, like uh you were, right, mean, you're lucky, right? I, oh my gosh, yes.
1: I'm afraid, I'm telling you right now, I'm oh like god. that's one of the things I'm scared of having a child that's <sighs> gonna grow up in that world, and I'm like, Oh god, it's all so totally. Hard. I yeah.
0: mean, really, the only screen through a, a, a bulk of you know, raising our two daughters was was TV, right? And that was bad yeah. enough. That was you know? bad like, enough, it, and now gosh, we, it's all so much
1: worse. Yeah,
0: I know. Oh my gosh, but one of the things I saw and hope for when when these women took so much to this concept of that, we all mother is like, oh, maybe, you know, this is a way that we could have some common ground, right. Right. That, that we do all mother, but it does take, you know, from my studies and work, it's, you know, we're only doing that out of our own insecurity. You know, we're trying to, you know, we have to put the other person down because we're so insecure about the choices we're making. And and that's, you know, We're contributing to that culture. So I'm, this isn't like a victim mentality, but you know, the you know, social media culture, all of that, you know, and our families, all the wiring that's gone into like feeling like we're there's some right way to right. do this job, you know, right. to be a woman in general, but particularly when it comes to mothering. And as I said at the beginning, it's so vulnerable and right. it really isn't a job like any other job. Right. And we've made it into one and we're always going to feel insecure. Right. But we don't want that insecurity to be at the detriment of others who are making different choices. You know, how do I, I really want to support women to go on a journey of, you know, enough internal work and working on your, the wiring that got you making the decisions you are to, to to try and make, you know, as critical thinking of a decision, but also ones that are from, you know, your own internal wisdom, right? Your mm-hmm. own intuition, you know, this right. is what's right for me. Other people might make other choices and right. everybody's going to have opinions about my choice, but how do I stay with myself and be secure enough in myself right, to be okay with my decision and not have to put other people down for making a different decision exactly. Right. to try and justify my own. And it's not easy, right? And right. it's the journey I've, you know, hoping to invite women on is this, because it takes transformation. It takes like rooting out mistaken beliefs, my own, like, you know, limited beliefs that I was raised with. You know, if I can look at them more square on, then we have more choice. If getting that we're all mothers and then working on that, then we could be on my vision is that we're all on one team and how powerful will that be? Like,
1: I mean, we're so
0: amazing as women like that, that we've like, you know, weathered what we've weathered through the years and, and have been still so magnificent. But if we start coming together versus putting each other down. Can you imagine? Like, it would
1: be so powerful. Well, be magic. I mean, it, it, that's, that's the goosebump goal, right? Is that yeah. it like that? And I think in life, you know, nothing ever happens overnight and you, you know, but progress is progress. And no matter how small that progress is over time, you still see the ripple effects of that. And so I think what you're doing is so important because you are, you know, that pebble that's being dropped into the, into the water and seeing, those ripples. And then you hope that people join your cause and those ripples get bigger and bigger. And you know, that advocacy becomes bigger and bigger and the voices become louder and louder and the energy becomes brighter and brighter. And it's, you know, that, but that takes a person like yourself to start a movement or to start these conversations. And I think that that's just a fantastic thing.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks. And it takes, yeah, people like you who are finding, you know, where you can make a difference in the world that you are. And well, I think this leads to there's, well, of course, tons I want to talk to you about, but I think this ties to what we've been talking about where, you know, the difficulty, and I know we're, I could say parents, but we have been focusing a lot on the mother and women, but you know, parents also find it difficult to accept support and to, you know, and even though they've invited it in, there's still a challenge of accepting. And I was wondering what struggles you notice mothers have in particular, you know, in our cultures. Yeah. It's it's kind of what we're talking about, but go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, no, it's just, it's so, it's so like right at the like surface of my heart and deeply set in my heart at the same time, if that makes sense. It's the idea that you have to do it alone or do it yourself rather, not alone, do it yourself in order to prove that you are capable or yes. that you are a good mom or that you are, you, um, you know, skilled or uh, talented or have what it takes, what, however people want to word that. But it's it's that internal demon that I think all of us fight in some sort of way that if we don't do it on our own, then somehow we are less than. And I think moms feel that so often, multiple times a day, even, that they are less than or they are failing because they need to ask for help. And, and asking for help is one of the pillars that, that I speak of a lot. I would say that, you know, the three pillars of, of, of my my heart and in, in child care advocacy are you have to ask for help let love in and build that village. Like I you know, keep talking about. And so the asking for help part of it though is directly tied to the village making and the village building. Um, but asking for it is one of the bravest things some people have to do. And it takes an incredible amount of courage and I look at my own life and it's like, you know, I say all the stuff that I say and I, tr- I truly believe it. But then sometimes I don't even take my own advice. Like when I was going through all the IVF stuff and all that, like here I am talking on podcasts and shows and stuff all about asking for help and, you know, if you're struggling with something and I wasn't even doing what I was telling people, I was packaging all of this, you know, but it wasn't, I was not, I was not taking my own advice. Cause I would wonder why I was feeling so alone and I. anyone who goes through IVF will tell you, whatever part of IVF you're in, that it is one of the most isolating experiences you will go through. No matter how many people you have around you, it is still you and your body and that is it. And you can't make your body do something you want it to do or whatever the case is. But I finally understood kind of what I was talking about asking for help when I went through that because it was the most alone and most scared I probably felt in my life and the first instinct for me was to retreat was to not talk about it was you know and i realized that that's exactly the moment i needed to be brave just like so many other women need to have that like you know aha moment and that's hard because i don't know what it is within us why we're wired this way and me i would love to know if you have an answer to that i'm sure you do but why we think that we have to do it on our own in order to feel worthy and that's so hard.
0: Again, yes, I <laughs> just love how much we're like voyaging on this. I, I know. Like <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, especially when you talked about like, oh my gosh, here I am. Here I find myself. You know, I coach people are an advocate for. Yeah. you know, the village and getting support and right. And I'm not doing it. And I'm not had, doing I, it. <laughs> I. It's a big part of my story as well. Like one of the things that ended up, you know, moving me to take a step to like really go into this area of mothering in depth was where the fact that as I was raising my daughters, I mean, we were, the thing I'd say we did consistently was, you know, be as conscious a parents as we could. Mm -hmm. But when it came, I hit a point that when it came to really diving into the transformational opportunity, which meant like, you know, using everything that came my way to like dig into and go deep into and rock the boat with my husband possibly. And, and, you know, really see work some of these deeper wounds. I was like, I just, I hit a wall. Like I was like, nope. Right, And I can't say right. there was like one day I woke up and did that, but I, I kind of also did know I was doing it, Right. but I, right. but I'm coaching other women to do it and they're doing right. it beautifully. And, you know, I'm, I'm laughing about it now, but I've had a lot of regret and remorse about it, but then I didn't want to waste the opportunity yeah. of, of what is possible, but right. to show that it's really hard, like even me right. who was had so much support, so many people around me that, you know, could right. advocate for me. And I was still like, you know, nope. You know, not going any further. This is it. I know. But to I honor do. that and honor the fear of that, but also show that there's more possibilities. But I think this leads us to, you know, I, I do want to hear a bit more about the village, right? And yeah. the book that you're writing that you named. But how do you define a village? Like, what, you know, and where can a woman start first looking to build? their village?
1: Well, I always laugh that people think, you know, this, I think the first image we all get in our heads of village is that it is this enormous, you know, group of people. And it's really in life about the quality versus quantity. And you know, the village changes over time. And in the book, I talk about, you know, when the village is lost and the village is lost for a lot of reasons. Maybe it was a global pandemic, wink, wink. Maybe it's because there's a divorce. Maybe it's because someone passes away. Uh, Whatever it is, you know, the village can be lost. And and the, the first reason why I kind of was thinking about that was, yes, the pandemic. But then also even just the loss in my own life, you know, my grandparents were an old school Italian family, my mom's parents lived with us growing up, I was I shared a bed with my grandmother at one point. Um, and nonna and Papa were the loves of our life. And they lived for a long time. I mean, my not my Papa was almost 98 when he passed and my Nana was almost 95. They had big, rich, beautiful lives but even when they left you know to go to the other side i was like what you're not even old you should stay here with me and i need you and you know that need for that support when you lose people that were pillars really strong pillars of your life it's not until they're gone that you really start to realize what you counted on them for. And Mm. then you start to try to figure out how to fill that void. And my one friend said to me about my relationship with my grandmother, my Nana, she said, it sounds to me like you really lost your cheerleader, like your biggest Mm. cheerleader and not my parents are, and my siblings are too, but Nana was just a special, was just a special person. And um I started thinking about that when writing the book about the different people we are in life and so in the book I define the six different villagers that mm. that you would have in your life whether it's the dependable villager the cheerleader or the emergency contact whatever it is you start actually casting like a play the people in these roles mm. and they don't always stay for a, the entire time in your life because maybe you move like I said maybe someone passed Away, Maybe the relationship changes. Maybe you're not friends anymore. There's a fallout, whatever it is. But it doesn't change the fact that at some point, you're going to probably need one of these villagers that I name. And you yourself don't have to be all of those villagers either. You can just be one of those people. But maybe like myself, I happen to be all six villagers to some of my friends. I kind of span all. So it's doing this inventory, which I have so enjoyed in the book of figuring out who am I in the village and who do I need in mine? And so that's where, that's what I try to explore. And again, it's not about parenting. It's about whoever you are, wherever you are in your life, trying to figure that out.
0: I love that. Well, it, ties right back to the beginning, right? That we're mothering all the time. Right. 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 And but sometimes there's kind of peak experiences or experiences that, you know, we really need extra support. You know, like mm-hmm. taking mm-hmm. on IVF, you know, these kind of, you know, bigger things where there is more stress, more, you know, disequilibrium in a pandemic when it's taken apart, you know, we right. we see how much we need it. That's so beautiful. And I love how you're splitting it out and consciously choosing a support network, you know, right. a village. Right. And I, I think that's so critical because it's something that, yeah, when you said you were an Italian family, it was just kind of built in yes. and there's pros and cons to that, right? Sure. Like that's we're not saying that's <laughs> the, the perfect scenario, but there are some beautiful things about it. So how can I have some of that, but then also get to choose, you know, the, my village, right? You're exactly. not choosing your family of origin, right? Uh, Well, I kind of think cosmically we do, but that's a different topic. Um, I agree
1: with that. Yes. Yes. But you do, there are pros and cons of it and getting to choose different things in your life, but it's the, it's also the idea of not everybody is born into that type of nuclear family. You know, I consider myself lucky to have grown up with that, but not everybody would consider themselves lucky to have that dynamic, nor as everyone born into something like that. They have to figure out how to build that village themselves. And that's who I'm also talking to in the book is, you know, any person, whatever your age is or whatever is going on in your life, you have the opportunity to, to try and figure out how to be a part of a village. And if you're moving to like, one of my best friends is moving to Texas and she knows not a soul. It is her husband and her two kids and they are moving for her husband's job. And she is like, I'm leaving my family, all of my friends. I mean, she's losing her village. And so she said to me, what do I do? And I was like, you have to rebuild. And the way you start that is by the community you're in reaching out, getting to know your neighbors, the school system your kids are going to be in, you know, making sure you're an active part of solving that problem. I say in the book, I can give you directions to get there, but you need to drive the car. Like I, you know, I can give you all the advice in the world and I'm sure you do that as well, but I need you to do your part too. And that's actually be an active part of solving the problem.
0: That's such a key and important aspect, right? Like whether, you know, coaching advocacy, Mm -hmm. you know, we can offer, but it really takes us then to like pick up the reins and do the work. Right. right, and do the work. Do
1: the work. work, that you,
0: do the work. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> do the work that we're talking about. All right. Well, I have one final question, but before I ask my last question, I want my listeners to be able to find you and learn even more because I'm sure they're going to be super excited to oh, uh, so listen to your podcast and get on the the waiting list for your book, all that good stuff. Oh, so, where so what are the <laughs> what are the best places?
1: so my website's florencian.romano all the information that you just mentioned is there I also have tons of blogs that are about the village but then also about a lot of other topics regarding child care and parenting and all of it. and also I'm very active on Instagram I answer every DM so never feel like you're bothering me I I like to think of myself as your virtual village I have been known to be up at like two or three in the morning talking to mamas who are like breastfeeding at that time or whatever it is that they're doing I'm happy to be there for you so please DM me and follow me, you know, Romano there as well. And I I really do mean it when I say reach out and, uh, you know, there's no stupid question. And, you know, if you are feeling alone in any sort of way and need support, you know, please think of me as that, as that friend who's sitting on the couch with you having a talk.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. What a wonderful invitation. And to offer yourself, it sounds like you're offering some mothering to mothering. I like that.
1: Yes. The verb. I'm offering the, women, the verb.
0: <laughs> you're offering the verb. And yes. but you know, uh women have to take you up on the invitation and understand I they that, do. Yes. That that's a part of mothering themselves is yes. reaching out and taking support when it's offered, especially. I mean, yes. we can ask for it even when it's not offered, but when it's offered, you know, it's I I don't think I ever turn down when someone says, Hey, do you want a bottle of water? I, I always like say yes, that. just for the act of like, I don't need to ask if I'm thirsty. Someone just offered me water. I'm going to say right. yes. Right. That's a, and kind yeah, of... that's
1: why I love that. <laughs> I, I'm going to remember <laughs> so, that now the next time someone offers me water. Yeah.
0: Yep. It's a practice. Um, okay. Last question. What does rewrite the mother code mean to you? And what's one way you're going to mother yourself this week?
1: Rewriting the mother code to me, I'm going to go back to what we talked a little bit about earlier is, is that asking for help? And what we just talked about, I, I think that understanding that wherever you are in your journey, in terms of mothering, that you don't have to go it alone. And I think even this conversation right now is helping to debunk that and realize that you're not alone in your your feelings. I always say everyone, no matter who you are, wants to be heard and understood and seen. And I think we need to see who each other, who we are, who we want to be in terms of, you know, know, redefining that mother code and understanding what that word means in so many different ways. And the second uh, part, I love that question because I think this week for me, it's walking. Walking for me is always something I I love to do, need to do, and I start to feel real antsy when I haven't done it and gotten outside to do it. I live in Chicago and the weather is like super unpredictable but it's a beautiful day today and i keep thinking okay maybe this afternoon is i'm going to take that time for myself and just get lost in the music that i listen to and just in my thought and kind of meditation and that sort of way so i think that's my goal this week for myself because i'm i'm feeling very antsy about it and i and i need to listen to that
0: Well, I love that. And I'm with you on that one also. And I noticed myself, like as the weather's turned, we were both in Chicago, which is so cool. And I am going to say, I think we should have a walking date. Yes, I would love it. Okay. we yes. solve all the
1: world's problems on that one. We'll it's like, all going it to happen.
0: It's going to happen. It definitely will happen. Well, it has been such a pleasure and it's just energized my day, made my day to be with you, uh, Florence. And Ditto. thank you Ditto. for everything you're doing. And just thanks for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me and your beautiful light. I appreciate it so much.
0: Thank you so much for choosing yourself and taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, Please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother. Wait, no. Subscribe to Mother Her. It helps other people who need this message, aka all women. Well, actually, everybody, men included. I'm honored to have you on this journey in mothering yourself. Remember, change is uncomfortable, but it's beautiful, and it starts with us. And if you can't wait until next week's episode, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Gertrude Lyons or at my website, drgertrudelyons.com. I'll see you next time.